Happy holidays, Team Health Tech. Hope you're enjoying some time off with some people that you care about or doing something that you enjoy, or maybe both. Hopefully it's not your job either. Something even more rewarding and fulfilling. Here on the podcast, though, we're keeping the episodes coming, albeit a little bit less than usual. You might have noticed that we're down to one a week at the moment, just during this holiday period. And also, you're not going to hear from me too much in these sessions over Christmas and New Year's because we're running a special holiday mentoring series featuring different discussions with members of the THT Plus community, which is our membership offering for individuals and companies that are passionate about making a meaningful impact in healthcare with technology. And maybe that's a good fit for you if you've not already checked it out. Go to our website, talkinghealthtech.com, and check out THT Plus. It's a good way to connect with a lot of guests that you've heard on the podcast as well. Anyway, today on the show, you're going to hear from Carol and me, the founder of Sound Scouts. So you would have heard her on the podcast before, but this time it's a little bit different. It's got a different perspective, more focused on her own personal journey and her own unconventional path to becoming a health tech founder. You're going to hear her advice that she'd give to others that are looking to tread a similar path. I want you to listen out for an interesting story involving her interactions with the inventor of the Rubik's Cube and also about how her background in television production has positioned her perfectly for a career as a tech startup founder. There's lots more in this one as well. It's a great discussion facilitated by Michelle Gardner, who's another member in the THT Plus community, who's very graciously offered to host these holiday mentoring episodes of the podcast so that I get a bit of a break from the microphone as well. So thank you, Michelle and Caroline, for this episode that you're about to hear. Here we go, Team Health Tech collaboration starts with a conversation. Oh, let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. Today, I'm talking with Carolyn Mee, the founder of Sound Scouts, an organization who's turned hearing tests into fun, accessible experience through gamification. Thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure. It's great to be here, Michelle. So I'm really excited to ask you about your career and, and all the things that you've done so far. But let's start with my favorite question, which is, if you could give past you one piece of advice, what would that be? I'm going to give an answer that actually folds in all my life experience, if you like. So I like to think of life as a jigsaw puzzle. And when you get to the end of your life, you see that puzzle all completely formed and in one hopefully big, beautiful piece. If you can think about all your life experiences as the pieces of the puzzle, And many of those pieces are odd shapes and you can't necessarily see the obvious connections. But as life goes on, the pieces start to slot together and you see, you know, there's some logic that falls into place. And I think if I could give my younger self advice, it would be to not stress about how the pieces will come together, but to know that there's some some magical master plan. And as you progress along life's road, the magic and the logic will fall into place. And I think back on my own life and all the different things that I've done, 
and see how the puzzle is building up and how the pieces are fitting together and it's really quite beautiful. So I think, yeah, for younger people to realise that everything that they do, every experience they have will contribute to the full story. And I think in terms of that as well, I think the more that you can do that's different and the more opportunities you have to do diverse things, then the greater the pieces, you know, will be to fit together in the end. But yeah, that's a slightly different perhaps response, but I was thinking about it and I think that's a good advice for young people or younger self. That's a really beautiful answer. And, and I know your background because I've done a little bit of LinkedIn stalking, but maybe you could just give a bit of a lowdown from where you started and where you are now. Yeah, so I started out after school doing a degree with a major in communications and actually having completed most of that, I got the opportunity to audition as a presenter on a children's television show, Simon Townsend's Wonderworld, which back in the day, back in the 80s, was uh, quite famous, won seven Logies. And many of the presenters who worked on the show went on uh, to have very successful careers. Jonathan Coleman, who unfortunately we lost this year, had a wonderful career in the media. People like Angela Caterns and Anita Jacobi, you know, all fantastic careers. And so I think there were around 2,000 people applied and yeah, (laughs) and in the end, yes, I got the job. So, and that job taught me, it was very much on the job training, how to produce, write and direct. And we filmed a four minute story every day so five days a week, sometimes six. And so I think by the time I was 21, I'd produced in excess of 1,200 minutes of television. So yeah, very much a case of learning on the job. And following that job, I traveled overseas, lived overseas for a number of years. And I came back to Australia. And again, talking about how these pieces fit together, I actually was working in tourism, working in the diet industry and got to the point where I wanted to get back into television and I actually got a job working for a documentary series on the sea. It was called The Adventures of the Quest and so suddenly all my dive experience and all the time that I'd spent on the water contributed back into being a researcher on this 12-part documentary series and then really just from there worked in television and production for a decade or more, then set up my own boutique production company. And in that work uh, in health, did a lot of work in health, working for companies, different aspects of health in hearing and diabetes, and also working with the Australasian College of Surgeons. And so really piqued my interest in health And also, as I worked for myself and working more and more with digital technology, I realized that I needed to upskill in that area. So I went back to school and actually got a scholarship to do an advanced diploma in digital media. And that was really wonderful because in that course, I was introduced to the concept of serious games. And it was from 
that sort of introduction that Sound Scouts developed. And it was actually my final assignment for Amazing. <laughs> my, yeah, it was it was really interesting and because you had to sort of put all the pieces together, you know, I'd done some research, um, learned about this Senate inquiry into hearing health that was undertaken in 2010, and that there was a recommendation in that inquiry that all children should have their hearing checked at the start of school, but it wasn't happening. And I think at the time there was close to 300,000 children starting school each year. So trying to get clinicians to do the testing, it really wasn't a viable option. Whereas technology was certainly a solution that could fulfill that recommendation. And so I could see that there was a need there and I was lucky that one of my lecturers introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Simon Carlyle, who's very active in the hearing space. And he quickly introduced me to Dr. Harvey Dillon, who at the time was the director of the National Acoustic Laboratories. And fortunately, Harvey had, I'm going to call it an open door policy where he was very open and receptive to the conversation. And the first time we met, we talked about this idea of creating a game to test children's hearing for over two hours. And I'm not sure that he really thought I was going to deliver <laughs> on this idea. I think, you know, he was perhaps humouring me to a point, but he agreed to be involved and agreed to collaborate. And the National Acoustic Laboratories team brought the science to the project. And uh, myself and my now CTO, Kua Moreno, brought the gamification and the building out of the product and of course the business side of it to the service so yeah we worked for quite a few years collecting developing iterating you know testing children again uh, until we eventually arrived on a product or we were able to I guess commercialize a product that was evidence-based and shown to pick up hearing loss so yes that was a uh, maybe the short or long version <laughs> Uh, of my history. And what made that particular idea stand out to you? I think it was one of those lightning bolt moments where I'd also heard about one of Australia's First Nation surgeons, Dr. Kelvin Kong, and heard about his work and the work that he was doing identifying hearing loss in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. And it made me think about the challenges there. Also, I have three children and I have two boys and both of my boys needed to have their hearing checked. And I remember the process that I went through that we had to wait quite a few weeks for an appointment. I had to take time off work. I had to take the children out of school and it was quite an ordeal. And then they were placed in this really foreign environment, the, the hearing booth. And I started talking to other people about it and I got feedback that some people got false positives. You know, there was a problem when there wasn't. Mm -hmm. The children just were uncomfortable being in that space so didn't respond as they should. So there was sort of, yeah, a lot of things that resonated that, that encouraged me to press on with developing a solution to make it easier and um, more convenient, more accessible. And I think just the fact that 
we used to have hearing checks back when I was a kid at school and that was no longer done. And it seemed crazy to me because our children have their sight checked in preschool and hearing as we're all sitting here listening to this podcast and we're talking and communicating by way of our hearing, it seemed like such an important sense to be overlooking. And so, yeah, I really felt that there needed to be a solution and, you know, a better approach to ensuring that our kids can hear in the classroom. Definitely. It really sounds like you've transformed that user experience for kids. We have. I'm definitely going to own that. We've really created something that the kids enjoy doing and they're not reluctant to be involved. We had one school tell us once that only half the children returned their parent permission notes to do the test. And of course, the half whose permissions we had that those children were tested and they all went back to the classroom and were talking and the next day apparently all the kids who didn't get to do it went home and used their pester power <laughs> to encourage their parents to return the permission notes and so the school was saying they'd yeah, never seen anything like that happen before so that was just a you know a nice little aside benefit but I think there's multiple benefits. With hearing, you want data points to be able to assess if there's a problem. And I don't know if you've ever done a hearing check, Michelle, but yeah, some of them, yeah. are, they can be really boring, can't they? Yes, absolutely. I was thinking back, I'm like, oh, I do remember that school experience with the giant headphones and <laughs> listening for the beeps. So Yeah, that's right. Well, it's interesting because in play audiometry, when you're testing younger children, they use a reward system, like a visual reward system. And so we took the principles of that visual reward system and we embedded them in, in a mobile game. So it was quite, I think one of the things that made me pursue it is that I could see the potential for a digital game to deliver on this need and certainly that's how it played out but it was not without its challenges and I think working with Dr Dylan because his experience was so vast he set out with this okay if we're going to do this we want it to be you know <laughs> we okay. want it yeah and and have all these capabilities and then as we progressed through it was like there were certain things that weren't achievable or he'd say oh it's okay but we can't do that and I'd be like no no I'm not giving up on that you know like let's stick to the plan and we'll find a way and let us explore the avenue and so so I think we actually did keep in most of the things that were on that original list. Maybe there was a couple of things that fell away, but yeah, we've both driven to achieve the best outcome. And I think that's where we arrived. And we're also continually improving the product. So because of the gaming aspect of it and because we can collect the data and we can really see how the children are engaging with the test, we're constantly seeing and learning more and more. And, and I think we're in some cases picking up information that no one else has seen or potentially heard of before. So just in relation to the ears and the brain, cognitive function, there's some yeah really interesting things that we're seeing come through with the data that I think, you know, there's more to learn and more improvements to make. 
Mm, I can't wait to see what happens next for you. So shifting gears a little bit, how have you found being a founder of an organisation? What's that journey been like? Exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a fascinating journey. It's really, I've learnt so much. Uh, I started out to make a game to test kids' hearing and in retrospect, that was quite a naive, <laughs> I guess, way to start the journey. But uh, perhaps if I hadn't have started it in quite a naive way, I may not have kept going. So, yeah, I certainly set out to do something that at the time I thought may be quite simple. And the product journey has been one thing and the business journey has been, you know, completely different so you've heard it many times with that adage of wearing many hats and having to be an expert in many things or maybe not an expert it really does put added pressure on you and I think yeah having good supports around you is vital to getting through so both in terms of people you can turn to for support and to ask questions having good accountants and legal advice and obviously good staff is critical to being able to progress and keep the business you know on track and how did you build up that set of network given you've obviously come from not from medical which is i find super interesting yeah i i was talking recently about my linkedin connections <laughs> and that they're a very diverse bunch so i have originally my television connections and then I've got the connections in the hearing space the connections in the game space and of course the connections in health more broadly and of course in the startup business space so there's certainly a diverse range of connections and i think it's come from I do get involved, if you like, so I'm not one to stand on the sidelines. I think I've been able to get to know people and meet people by attending events, by being involved in things like talking to you and talking health tech. But also I've had the opportunity to participate in a number of accelerator programs and they've been you know, fantastic. So Springboard, which is for women, uh, Heads Over Heels, the Remarkable program, and, and each of those programs have offered something slightly different, but, you know, each of them have been extremely valuable. But, you know, you do have to nurture re the relationships. It's a give and take where you can give advice and help, then, you know, you can turn around and ask for that in return. So, yeah, that's been key. Amazing. And did you ever find it difficult to ask for help or is that something that's always come naturally to you? There has been times when it's been difficult to ask for help, knowing perhaps sometimes who exactly to ask and knowing the right questions to ask, if you like, too, to get the right answers can sometimes be tricky. I think probably something I have badly to a certain extent is the decision making process you know I think there's some decisions that I should have just made quicker and bore the consequences of you can overthink things and in fact the delay in making a decision is as bad as a bad decision <laughs> so I think 
good advice early and then just committing to your decision, I would recommend doing that. And I'm trying to do that, learning from past experiences. So, yeah, I think really it just comes down to who you've got in your network and how comfortable you feel in speaking to them. And, you know, as you strengthen those relationships, there's certain people that you can really ask anything of and there'll be a voice. And if they don't know the answer, they often will be able to connect you with someone who does So sometimes even just asking the question and articulating it helps you to arrive at your own answer. So um, yes, combination of all those things. It does always help me just whiteboard things out even if it's virtually. So that's fantastic. You've built up the right number of people to help you. (laughs) So what's been your biggest challenge in your career to date? I was thinking about this question and I wanted to have a laugh and go back to, well, just one tricky challenge that I had back in my presenting days when I had to do a story with the inventor of the Rubik's Cube. And he was uh, very intolerant of the production process. So we're not using images for this, but if you're filming, you normally do a wide shot and then you go in and do a close up. And of course, doing a story with the Rubik's Cube, it was all about the hand movements and grabbing that close up. And he insisted that we could only film it once and that was it. And so I had to get the camera crew just to record everything because this was quite a coup that I had doing this interview and it was going to be a disaster going back to the office and not having all the pieces to make the perfect story. So we had to think on our feet and pull in and pull out and get the shots on the fly and do the best that we could. But at the same time, have that, you know, the evidence there that these were the circumstances and the conditions that we were working under. So I think that was one of the the most tricky career challenges, but it also paved the way of learning that you often have to think on your feet and you, you know, it wasn't unusual in your career that you have to find solutions. And I actually think coming from a production background, you know, you said it was in the beginning, yeah, I do have quite an unusual background. But one of the things that I find with people who've worked in television, particularly directing, producing out in the field, is that we're problem solvers. So you could give me a problem and I will never say I can't find the answer. I will just go down fighting (laughs) trying to find the answer. I had 10 days of a six-week shoot fall out the day before the shoot started. And so I had one day to fill in and those 10 days were sort of, yeah, like um, they started the second day of the shoot. And fortunately, because I'd done all the research and I knew, you know, everything there was to know in the field and in the area where the filming was taking place, I was able to just put one foot in front of the other and one day after the other and fill that schedule 
with sort of an itinerary that made sense and added to the desired outcome. So I think television people with a background in production have a great skill set that they can apply to the startup space because so much of what we do is about problem solving and communicating, working out how to solve problems, who to speak to and putting the research together. So yeah, from the very early days, those skills. (laughs) Building the creative problem solving. Yeah, I love it. And now on to mentors. So have you had many mentors in your career so far? I have had a range of different mentors and there have been areas of the startup space or from the hearing space. I would definitely say that Harvey Dillon, I would definitely count him as a mentor in terms of he has such a gentle way of educating and I think if we had have been working with anyone else who didn't have that patience around ensuring that the scientific aspects of what we were doing came together so well with the gaming and the delivery methods. I'm not sure what we would have arrived at the outcome that we did. So I definitely see Harvey as a mentor, particularly in terms of just teaching and educating me about how, I don't know, patience and understanding and just always having that positive attitude around sharing information. And then in the startup space, there's been some wonderful people that I've been involved with. I have to name Ben Reed, who I met through the Remarkables Accelerator program as someone who has also been very willing to give his time and share his knowledge and that's been really, really appreciated. And I had a couple of business advisors who have been particularly helpful and really taught me how to do various aspects of, you know, whether it was going through a contract. One of my advisors, Glenda, really taught me the basics of how to dissect a contract. And so that was really appreciated. So, yeah, it's been, you know, I, I There hasn't been one person, but there's been many people who at different stages of the startup process have helped provide the information I've needed at the time. I think, you know, sometimes in the startup journey, there's only so much you can take in and you need the information you need when you Mm -hmm. need it. And yeah, do you know that? (laughs) And then... The rest of it, you sort of like just have to let go of because you just don't have the capacity to take it in. So, yeah, I think that I try and also hopefully I like this circular economy of like people help you and then you do what you can to help others. And I think that's a really, you know, it's very aspirational and I hope more and more of us can adopt that sort of approach moving forward. I used to be a scuba diver. for many years and many people would have heard of paddy which is an american system of you pay to get various licenses certified yeah yeah but in england there's the british sub aqua club and their method is that the more experienced people teach the new people and it just goes on down the line and I was always inspired by that when I was diving and the BZAC divers were the best divers that I ever had the pleasure of diving with and they were so competent and so I like to carry that into sort of the startup space. 
I like that a lot. That's a good mentality to have. Plus, I'm sure the scuba diving also prepared you for plan B, plan C, you know, expect the worst, get all the right gear. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, no, that's very true as well. um, Yeah, things can go wrong too easily. So you definitely have to be prepared. And there's a few rules you have to follow. And I did learn the hard way about (laughs) following those rules. So... (laughs) Do you have any advice for people who are maybe looking at healthcare but are coming from an alternative background? Digital healthcare is very interesting. It's a really interesting space and I really enjoy the challenges, if you like, and I enjoy you know, the opportunity we have around data collection and learning from that data and improving upon our products. I think, you know, it's important to be detail-oriented, but it's also important to really understand your customer and understand that your customers need to be able to engage with your software and engage with what you're building. So for me, it's, um, I think our story is a great story in terms of that diversity in the team. I was perhaps, I'm possibly older than your usual startup founder, but having my experience as a mother and being able to bring that to the product, it was really important. So it wasn't, you know, it may never have been something that it, 25-year-old would have delivered on in the best possible way. That's probably not entirely answering your question. I think the challenges we're having, well, not challenges, I mean, it's necessary challenges, but the TGA, Therapeutic Goods Association in Australia, has just this year made a lot of changes around digital health solutions. And so I would definitely say that anyone coming into the space needs to be really mindful of the regulatory requirements of new products that um, are going to be medical devices. I would suggest that they understand what is a, a digital you know, software as a medical device, a SAMD, and be eyes wide open in terms of entering into the health market in that respect. There's a lot involved in creating a medical device and you really need to start the process from the beginning with that knowledge of how you're going to document, how you're going to run the clinical trials to ensure that you know you have an evidence-based product and that you meet all the regulatory requirements. And there's also the cost involved in all of that, which is quite high. Yeah, it's really real, especially if you're not a class one device. Class one, yeah, the costs are lower, but many things have been re-evaluated as class two, 2A devices. And then you're looking at costs in excess of 50,000 for your products to go through the necessary process. And that's after you've spent all the money building them. And so, yeah, it's definitely eyes wide open and I love it. And I think it's very, very rewarding. But yeah, it's really important to know what you're getting into and how you're going to pay for it, I guess. 
Mm, it's like building a business then adding this bonus layer of complexity but i definitely agree with you good reg people worth their weight in gold yes yes and i've discovered someone now and i'm very very that's you know the highlight of my uh the back end of my year is discovering that the person to help lead us through that journey and we've got it underway so that's exciting for us but if i can say as well like on the positive front we just put out a survey to a lot of our school users and we had over 200 responses and we asked them to share a story with us about how sound scouts has helped or yeah a personal school-based story of an outcome that came from using sound scouts and i can tell you that the stories moved me to tears i had no expectation that I knew we were making a difference and I knew that we were helping to identify children with hearing loss but stories that there were children with tumors there was one little child who had a pebble stuck in his ear oh. yeah and, oh, and poor thing yeah and the school had to use the sound scouts reports to convince the parents to follow up that he wasn't joking it was it was a real thing we had children who had been at one school and were just assumed to have behavioral issues and fortunately when they moved to this new school someone was familiar with sound scouts and also felt that the children that it wasn't a behavioral thing and that they felt that it was a hearing issue. And because they had sound scouts there, they could test the kids. And the children were both found to have permanent hearing issues and they were both fitted with hearing aids. And the children said that they were so happy that now people believed them and that they didn't think that they were just ignoring people. There are just a couple of cases. It was overwhelming the number of stories that we got back about the difference we're making so you don't get that from selling yeah there's not too many other products and areas that you can be in you know i'm not sure fintech would deliver the same you know <laughs> i was gonna say fast moving consumer goods has got nothing on healthcare that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right michelle it's uh 10 points for reward and yeah 10 out of 10 for effort required Yes, definitely. Resilience, that's, yeah, something you've got to bring, right? Absolutely. I posted a, a beautiful picture of it last night on Instagram and I wrote uh, beautiful and delicate and someone said, just like you, Carolyn, and they went, oh, maybe not delicate. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, definitely not delicate. It's not, I'm definitely not delicate. I'm tough. And I think you do need to be tough to survive and get through. Love it. I love it. I can subscribe to that. <laughs> so we're like nearly at the end of the year at the time of recording this. So how are you preparing for 2022? We're at a point where we're wrapping up everything that was on our to-do list for this year. 
And we're pretty excited about that, that we are going to see out the year having achieved what we'd hoped to achieve. And on that note, we're about to launch a suite of diagnostic or clinician tools to assess for auditory processing disorder. So it's a new addition to the Sound Scouts toolbox, which is super exciting. And yes, I'm going to give a shout out to Nathan, one of our developers who has done the heavy lifting there. And then next year, we're looking to further extend our product offering. So we are going to be looking at some additional tools and we've already put the plans in place for those. So I think rounding out the year and being able to pat yourself on the back and feel that despite all the challenges we've had, that we've both had a significant impact and from a development and you know, company perspective, we've grown and established them positive new relationships. And then we've also set in place the roadmap for the year in front of us uh, is not a bad way to see out 2021. It sounds like a really exciting one ahead for you. Yes, I think I'm really looking forward to, or dare I say it, some normality. <laughs> I think myself and everyone else and really, I think startups and companies, perhaps in you know a similar stage of development as Sound Scouts, it, it has been a challenging time. I think you know we're at a quite a vulnerable stage. Speaking for myself and other companies, and when you you know you have lots of plans in place, and then because of circumstances that are outside of your control they don't play out then again you have to be resourceful and and work out ways around and try and, and see how you know you can get through and plot that new path and so yeah we're really no different to probably many many other companies coming out of 2021 and I just hope for all of us that we have more stability next year and that we're able to travel and forge those relationships that we need to to build our businesses and also we work a lot with schools and so you know we've been really hard hit by the school closures but also as a mother my son has just completed his hsc and so you know i do appreciate that everyone has you know been faced with challenges in different ways so i really hope for all of us that 2022 is a really positive and uh, productive year and uh, we have lots of things to smile about yes i would love that too i think yeah. everyone would yeah yeah I and my closing question for you is, are you taking any time off and how do you rest and recover? I'm definitely taking a few weeks off and I I don't know as a startup founder, oh, I think maybe some people do switch off completely. I will do my best. I will find a few novels <laughs> and definitely indulge in some book reading and of course spend time with my children and my husband and relax in nature, I think. Yeah, some long walks and swimming in the sea and yeah, clear out, refresh fresh and ready to dive into the new year. So I think, yes, everyone should recharge, if you like, and over this coming holiday break and uh, be ready to take on the year ahead, which is going to be super fantastic. 
super positive. Visualize a really good year. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I hope you've got the holiday plans in place as well. I do. I do. You're going to be diving into your novel idea of getting some books under my belt. So that will be that will be good. Anyway, thank you so much for the time. This has been really, really good just to learn from your experience, and you had quite a lot of actionable insights, which I really appreciate. Thank you. My pleasure, Michelle. Lovely chatting with you. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Happy.